Which Bucks team will show up on Monday Night Football against the Los Angeles Rams? Hopefully a better version than the one we saw another Monday night. Is Tristan Wirfs the best offensive lineman the Bucks have had since Paul Gruber? And is Levante David a Hall of Famer? Has Ronald Jones finally earned the starting running back spot? We've got all your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly and some response to our discussion about Christmas on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, Lightning fans, don't miss out on a chance to save $10 on the best gift you can get for yourself or the Bolts fan on your list. It's the Tampa Bay Lightning Stanley Cup Championship book. This 160-page hardcover keepsake entitled Thunderstruck is filled with stories and photos from the Tampa Bay Times writers and photographers. You can relive the magical moments throughout the playoffs and the championship. You'll feel the chills, the thrills, and spills from the entire season every time you look through this book. So go to boltsbook.com now and place your order. The retail cost of this book is $39.95, but if you order now, you can save $10. That's $29.95 plus shipping and handling. In the United States, books will ship by December 4th, but this offer expires on November 24th. So go to boltsbook.com now to order. All right, before we get to your mailbag questions and apparently some criticisms of our Christmas uh, traditions, first of all, let me just say this before we get into it. Christmas is a personal thing, right? You can you can celebrate any way you want to. No, <laughs> just, just like everything else in this world, it must be my way or nobody's way. Well, there are there are certain norms that I think you should adhere to, but some of it is 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 you know open to interpretation. First of all, whether you celebrate Christmas at all is is open to interpretation. You're, it's a freedom of religion, obviously. But when we're talking about decorating, decking the halls, if you will, there's certain things that I adhere to, and it's kind of like the jersey thing that Tom Jones has. You know, you got to be a certain age. You can't wear whatever. We'll get into that, but. Um, before we get started, I uh, just wanted to mention, I, I wrote a story on TampaBay.com and uh, in the Tampa Bay Times, and it's about Antonio Brown. It's sort of like a follow. We we had um, you know run a version of what the Miami Herald reported, and I got a hold of the police report from the Hollywood Police Department. If you're not familiar with the story, basically, on October 15th or thereabouts, um, Brown had one of his guests coming into this community, this gated community where he lives, and... Uh, this person drove in and was turned away because they wanted to go to Antonio Brown's house. And Brown had a restrictive, you know, request that no one was allowed to come in unless he escorted them, unless he was personally there to say, okay, this person can come see me. Cause otherwise, you know, presumably anybody come up, say, I'm here to see Antonio Brown. They wave you through. So they didn't wave him through. And this individual left is in a blue alpha Romero, I think, and left. And so, um, then all of a sudden Brown shows up on a bicycle and he starts launching into this woman that's at this, at the guard gate in a profanity lace tirade. Um, and can't, you know, what the bleep do I have to do to get my guest in, you know, bleep it, all this stuff. And at one point he gets so angry that they said he didn't use his hand. They later with the surveillance camera later said that he hit, hit something but anyway, he, he struck a, a surveillance camera and smashed it. Um, this thing cost around $500. So he's being a little violent, destroying property, um, you know, and being very verbally abusive. And he, he walks away swearing at this person. Then all of a sudden, the Alfred Romero comes back, comes back a second time. And the answer is the same. Hey, he left. He's not here. Can't wave you through. Right. Only this time, you know, Brown comes back and he's just as irate, if not more so. 
And this time he takes his bike and he launches it towards the arm of the gate and it lodges between the arm of the gate and the motor and it leaves the gate stuck open and he hops in the car, backseat of the Alfa Romero, and the two two guys drive away. But no, 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 that wasn't enough. He then came back again and he went into the property manager's office, which was sort of adjacent to the guard shack, and he lit into this woman about what do I got to do to let my guests get in and was dropping F-bombs and everything else and at one point said she was a racist blank. And she's like, look, I don't control what your security is at the guard gate. you got to go to the homeowners association. So long story endless, um, they end up at the homeowners association and um, the woman tells the police when they're out there investigating, hey, I don't want to, I'm not pressing charges on this guy because they got him for some misdemeanor, you know, that they're going to send over to the state attorney's office. And she goes, I'm not interested in it because, according to the police report, I'm afraid that he's going to be abusive to my employees, you know, if if we follow this up. So I'm not I'm not interested in doing it. Um, and so that's where it ended. I mean, basically, there was there was they didn't turn it over to the state attorneys. They 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 had a plaintiff that wasn't you know willing to to prosecute, and and he ended up paying for the camera. And you know, the Herald reached this president of the of the HOA, and she was like, "I got no issues at all. He's been great. You know, no no problem." But on the the day that the investigating officer was there, she told a, a much different story. The bottom line is this. Um, Antonio Brown got on a Zoom call with us and, you know, talked about what a changed man he was, how much work he had done in controlling his anger. Tony Robbins was involved. Like, man, two weeks earlier, you were just up in people's faces and throwing stuff around. Oh, he went into the property manager's office, and as he was leaving there and calling her names, he ripped down a COVID-19 poster or whatever on the back of the door, and that went all over the floor. I mean, it's not a good picture for a guy who had just gotten, in fact, he wasn't even quite off the eight-game suspension. He still hadn't been reinstated when he's doing this stuff. So what kind of judgment is that? I just, you know, you struggle, man. You, you understand why they have him here to win football games. You get it. Um, but two weeks? And then the Buck statement, if you read it, they basically said they were aware of the incident that occurred before he signed here. Well, what does that mean, that you're aware of the incident? which did occur before he signed here, or, well, since it occurred before he signed here, we're not that, we don't care, because it's a clean slate. And I tend to think it's the, the latter. I tend to think, you know, if you're going to accept a guy who still faces sexual assault allegations in, in civil court and say, well, it didn't happen here, let the courts take their course, then how would this bother you? You know what I mean? And I don't think it does. So... I talked to the league, and Brian McCarthy, who's a VP of, of communication, said, look, the, what you're describing are things that we always investigate. Okay, we'll see what the league does. But, man, I mean, anger. He's got some anger for sure. Some sad news. Um, you know, K.J. Sales, who I think has been uh, just a terrific player and more so an even better representative at the University of South Florida, he's going to miss the remainder of the season. Uh, I guess it's a knee injury. Is that right, Steve? Yeah, he suffered it during the loss on Saturday to Houston. So it will not require surgery, but he'll miss the last two games this weekend against uh, Navy and then next week when they host UCF. So um, uh, he's a senior, so that ends his career. Of course, an East Bay High alum as well. So 
Right. Uh, but yeah, That's what a, a tough tremendous individual. Out. I mean, even better than a football player, just the type of person he is. Oh, for sure. And he, you know, he led a lot of uh, the, the the marches and the cleanup. Mm-hmm. You remember when they had some um, some looting and some firing, uh, some fires that went down. Um, you know, over the years, um, going back to the summer, and um, you know, he's just been he, he's just a great great kid, a really good player. And you know, you just hate. I mean, the thing about football, I've always said this, is that it's it's just it's an unfair, a brutally unfair sport. You know, and I know. Those that have played it, I didn't play it. My son played it. I watched it from youth league on. Um, him go through it and his and his teammates, and of course I've been around the NFL, you know, since 1990. So that the hardest thing for me to accept um, is just how random injuries are, you know, and the timing of them can just be brutal, and, and you can't do anything about it. You know, you know it's part of the game. You accept that. But man, there are certain players and and certain circumstances that occur where guys get hurt, and this is one of them, right? Like, I don't know if KJ Sales has a chance to play in the NFL or not. Maybe he will. Maybe maybe he'll make a team or or the XFL or something like that. Maybe he doesn't have any interest in doing that. He's going to be successful wherever he goes. But you had two more games, right? And 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 you'd like to finish out your senior senior year um, knowing that that you know that this is your last game, and and um, of course football players live with the knowledge that every snap, even in practice could be their last snap. So it's really tough. Um, never understood that about the sport. It's just, it's brutal that way. And you have to stay healthy to play. Um, you have to stay healthy to win the jobs. You know, most guys get their jobs in football because the guy in front of them got hurt. I mean, that's the primary way you get it. You, you step in, it's the next man up. You hear that all the time in football and that next man can take your job. And that's why you'll see players play through injuries because they don't want to give even a rep you know, to that, to that guy behind them because coaches may fall in love with him. And, um, that part of it is really hard, you know, um, but it happens and we wish KJ uh, a lot of, a lot of success and good luck. And it's great that, you know, it's not an injury that will require surgery, but just one that he couldn't come back from, um, this quickly. So we're sorry about that. All right. We'll get to your questions now and we'll lead off with Ellis who asked, which Bucks team will we see against the Rams on Monday night football? The one that beat the Packers? Or the one that lost to the Saints? Um, probably a little bit of both, um, to be honest with you. I, I Certainly they don't want to be the one that lost to the Saints because that team didn't show up. <laughs> okay, so first of all, you got to show up to qualify. Um, that one did not. And um, I would say that, you know, in that game, they started with Ali Marpet, um, who is still in concussion protocol. It's not a lock, by the way, that he's going to play this week either. He was having some symptoms, you know, as late in the week last week and, and missed his second straight game. But I thought they did a pretty good job by using A.Q. Shipley at, at center and then moving Ryan Jensen, the guard. That seemed to be a better combination than, um, you know, than, than um, what they had done. And I, I just think that it starts with the offensive line, especially going against that, that Rams defense. You know, Joe Haig just couldn't do as good a job in there with with Donovan Smith against a really good Saints defense. Now, let's not kid ourselves. Um, you know, and I, I've talked to a lot of people at, with the Bucks. You know, since their last game, which was a, you know an amazing success. I mean, they went out there, they hung forty six on the on Carolina, and they you know they made a lot of plays. that could have put sixty on the board. They missed three throws that Tom Brady should make. And yes, I put it all on Tom Brady on those. You know, the the, the post to. Antonio Brown that he was open and he threw it over the wrong shoulder and ball sailed on him. The one to Mike Evans that was high and then the bullet, you know, to Tyler Johnson, all three of those 
probably should have been touchdowns. Um, but, you know, Carolina's not a very good football team, so somewhere in the middle is, is what this Bucks team is. Now, they know they're fighting for their season. I mean, the Rams, you know, in addition to trying to win the NFC West, there's a three-way tie there. They're also, you know, very much in the wild card hunt regardless. And so when, when they start adding up victories and using tiebreakers, head-to-head is the first tiebreaker. So you need to beat the Rams if you finish tied with them and only one of you can make the playoffs. This game could determine that. I mean, literally could. could come down to who won this game. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's going to be a little different. I mean, even if Marpet doesn't come back, I think they have a solution there. I think they understand the urgency. I, I don't, you know, the whole practicing at night, you know, we got to do something. I, I, I'm not a big subscriber of that. That's fine if, if Bruce wants to try it. Um, it's his team, you know, why not sort of thing? What could it hurt? But I think this is the team that comes out and plays better. The biggest thing is you got to have a game plan. And, you know, this is the Rams team that they hung 55 points on with Jameis Winston in Los Angeles a year ago, early in the season, coming off that tragic New York Giants loss where, um, Matt Gay, you know, missed a, a chip shot field goal in overtime. And so, you know, I, I just think that they're going to play better and they're going to run the football. And running the football is what makes this offense go. Uh, it keeps Tom Brady clean. When Tom Brady doesn't get hit a lot, he, may, he you know what he does? He completes a lot of passes. You know, this is the thing. Like, I've sat here and watched – some good quarterbacking, some not so good quarterbacking, and a lot of bad quarterbacking. And the one thing Tom Brady does is the ball gets to his receivers, usually in a place where they can catch it, and he just completes a lot of passes and, and he moves the chains. And if you give him time back there and you know you get some of the, the, the separation that he needs and those guys hold up on the offensive line, particularly you know with Aaron Donald, one of the greatest players on defense maybe in the league, he's one defensive player of the year, he's predominantly a pass rusher. I mean – Aaron Donald, if you watch him, he'll play the run at, on t- at times, you know, and he's a force inside. But he wants to get up there and hit the quarterback. And the best way to slow guys like that is to run it right down their throats. And so I, I would expect them to run power. I would expect them to go some heavy personnel with three tight ends like they started the game against Carolina and really try to at least make make those linebackers, make, make that defensive line, defend the run, uh, anticipate the run, sell out for the run and then when you play action off of that um you you give tom some separation some space to you know to work all all the route tree behind it so um you know it, it's going to be a, it's going to be a little different game plan maybe a little more similar to what what they did against carolina i don't expect them to come out and throw it all over the yard um they had success against this offensive line who's going to be without whitworth i guess uh against the rams a year ago i think this defense is better than they were a year ago. So potentially, you know, they could give them Jared, Jared Goff some trouble. Um, but I think it's going to be a great game. And and the one thing, and I'm still amazed by this stat, that Sean McVay has not lost a game in his coaching career that he that he um, trailed at half, that he led at halftime. So you better get him quick. And getting off to a good start is important. I mean, it, it's, it's vital. You know, no matter where you play, you want to get off to a good start. And they haven't done that, really, uh, especially on national TV. And sometimes if you just, you know, don't make a bad play early on, you can stick with your game plan. You can, you know, that's what happens when you fall behind. You have to, everything you practiced all week, all the looks that you hoped you would get, they're gone because you're you're trying to throw every down to catch up. And, you know, you can't – you're not going to do that against the Rams. 
Um, and I think they know that. So I expect them to be a lot better. I, I think it's going to be more of the team closer to what you saw in Charlotte probably. Maybe not that effective, obviously, because they're playing a better team, but much further away from what they showed against the Saints. All right, Les asked, with six games left for the Bucks, which side of the ball gives you the most concern, the offense or the defense? Huh. Um, it's a great question. You know, I w- normally I wouldn't hesitate, and I'd say the offense, simply because the defense has been so solid all year. But we've seen them be a little leaky of, of late. You know, they've given up some rushing run- rushing yards um, in the last couple games. Not so many against Carolina because they had the ball eighty plays. And, you know, they've uh, given up some passing yards. You know, we've seen some some qu- questionable game plans. And, you know, we've seen them make plays on, you know, on uncertain defensive backs and whatnot. But overall, overall, um, I think I have more confidence in the defense playing well. And I think it's more on the offense, which has sort of been the story all year, right? Like they, they've kind of been a little up and down on that side of the ball, you know, the two games against the Saints, obviously, where Tom has thrown five interceptions. Okay, start there. You turn the ball over, you're not going to win. Um, and then, you know, just kind of getting more of an evolution, more of a feel. I still don't think this football team really knows what it wants to do on offense. They're trying to to do it week to week and be that, you know, sort of pliable amoeba-like, you know, we can adjust and, and create matchups depending on who we're playing, and that's fine. You do game plan against your opponent. But I still think they need an identity, and I think as close to an identity as they have is running the ball with Ronald Jones and then play action passing off of that and letting Tom be Tom. In other words, you know, if he wants to just, you know, get to third and four all day and convert, then that's what you do. You know, this this notion of I know they want to push the ball down the field, they want five play drives and all that. I think you got to let, you know, Brady run the show a little bit here and I don't know that they're moving as quickly as, as maybe some people would or I would towards what Tom wants to do. They certainly are incorporating a lot of the down-the-field stuff. But it's looking better, you know. So um, I think the more Antonio Brown practices, he's a difference maker. He just he just is. He's a difference maker. Um, you take some of the heat off of Mike Evans that way. You take some of the heat off of Chris Godwin that way. If you know, And then Scotty Miller comes in. If those four receivers stay have some modicum of health over the next couple of weeks, I think that's going to be the difference. And, you know, these next two weeks are huge, man. So, I don't know. It's uh, it's really interesting the way this season is unfolding. You'll look back at the Rams and Chiefs, and that's going to tell the tale of the 2020 season. Okay, UK Bucks ask. Rick, you remind us that we can't have nice things as Bucks fans. So where do you think the road ends for this season? Wild card weekend? I don't think it ends in wild card weekend. Um, they may well be a wild card. And I was talking to people at One Buck the other day, and, and they were saying, you know, in some ways we don't deserve to win the NFC South. Like we, you know, the Saints beat them twice, okay? And the Saints are champions. They had two shots at them. You could say, well, week one, come on, you know, you hadn't been here and that was an unfortunate quirk of the schedule that they got the Saints out of the back, out of the bat. And you know, Sean Payton and Drew Brees have been together, and, and they did they didn't play well that day. The Saints did not, but the turnovers, the you know the special teams gaffes, which you get early in the year, that cost them that game. But then the Saints came in here when everything was on the line on a Monday night and and beat the snot out of them. 
So in a way, you can't really say, well, they're the best team in the NFC South. They may win the NFC South, but to do it, all right, for them to do it, one or two or both things need to happen. One, I think almost assuredly, the Bucks need to beat the Rams and the Chiefs, not just one or the other. They need to beat them. They, in my mind, they got to beat them both to win the division because they're going to need to have, you know, 12, maybe even, I don't know, maybe even 13 wins. I don't know. It just depends. Um, but to get there, you, you, you know, you almost, have, you almost have to win out. I mean, I think that's why Bruce Arians told them before the last game, hey, our, our playoffs just started. Because what he's talking about is not that we won't make the playoffs or we won't be a wild card team. That's, that's a possibility. But you're not guaranteed it, right? I mean, to be a wild card team, you have to win all these tiebreakers and stuff and have the best record of non-division teams. No guarantee that'll happen. So the, the only way to assure yourself a postseason is to win the division. So I think what Bruce was saying is, look, you know, if we're going to make the playoffs for sure, we got to win the division. We're probably going to have to win all our games and then hope for some help somewhere along the way. Well, help came when Drew Brees broke about five ribs. And, you know, we'll see how long he's out. We'll see how well Jameis Winston and, and Taysom Hill do in his replacement. But I think that that could potentially be something that helps him. And, you know, but to me, if they do make it to a wild card, I, I could see this team winning a game or two. There's nothing to say that as, as these next few weeks progress, because we're not to Thanksgiving, and Tom Brady always says that the season begins at, after Thanksgiving week. Um, but we're one week from that. But there's not to say that they can't get better on offense and lock this down, lock up what they're doing and get sharper and have a little bit of health. And this, this football team could be a, could be humming, you know, by the time they get to January, they could be on fire. They could be really clicking around, you know, it's an eight cylinder engine and you're running on about four or five cylinders. Now you could get to eight. If you ever got it all locked in, not sure you, you could beat these guys, you know. Um, but when you go on the road, there won't be fans for the most part. But Green Bay is different than Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is different than Seattle or Arizona, you know. So how does how does it play out? You're going to be on the road every week. That's not going to be easy. And eventually you're going to have to play New Orleans unless that somebody takes care of them for you. So I don't know that it ends with a wild card. But that's the question. Would they lose in a wild card? I think I think it probably ends in the playoffs. Um, if they win the division, I'd give them a real good shot to win, to go to the Super Bowl, to win the NFC Championship. If they get to the playoffs as a wild card, I'd give them a shot to get to the championship game. I don't know that they will, but I think they'll win a playoff game. All right, Tommy asks, Hey, guys, why have the Bucks on defense gone to a zone defense? I don't get it. I thought the Bucks play well, press man. So what's your take on why they play zone? Well, I mean, you're talking primarily against uh, the Saints, and and I assume we saw a combination. I mean, first of all, Todd Bowles likes to mix it up, okay? So if you're just standing in one thing, if you're playing press man all day, then you become predictable, um, you know, and, and it's a situational game. So he likes to, you know, take advantage of the situations, the down and distances, um, and, and mix it up and, and not give any one quarterback a look. I, I'll go back again to the whole Drew Brees Saints thing. You know, everybody's like, well, this is not what you do. It's not what you do. It wasn't effective. You usually blitz. You didn't blitz. You know, go back and watch the first series. And, and really, literally, this is how games change. The first series of the game, 
um, they've got they've almost got the Saints stopped um, in their own territory, but they got them stopped. And there's a third down play where Jamel Dean is blitzing. He is blitzing off the edge, and no one blocks him. He's got a free run at Drew Brees. And Brees pump fakes him, and he leaves his feet. And when he does, instead of a sack where he could have run right through him and put him in the south end zone, he was running so fast, he steps around him, makes a throw to the tight end for a first down. Okay, series continues. Another blitz. This time, JPP dropping into coverage. Ball hits him between the nine and the zero. Now, he stumbled, got up. Then the ball hit him. He dropped the ball. He says, well, I was just making sure that the guy didn't catch it. Well, that yeah. But if he had caught the ball, he probably could have run it into the end zone or close to it. You make either one of those plays, whatever 15,000, 16,000 fans are in there are going nuts, they're losing their minds, and you've got momentum. We saw how fast momentum can change on one play. And, you know, Todd Bowles, you can say everything you want about whatever the defensive scheme was, right? He's had some pretty good game plans this year, by the way. But what's the coach's job? To put his players in position to make plays. But he can't make them for him. You know, like they have to make the plays that are there to be made. Well, there's two examples on the first drive that if they make either play, who's to say the whole game doesn't turn around? Uh, we saw it against Green Bay. So I, I just think that, it, it, you know, it's hard to, to really jump on Todd Bowles because of how successful he's been. I think they're predominantly – you know, a, a, a man coverage team, you know, um, press man, you know, blitz, um, not just for rush four, multiple fronts, you know, lots, lots of disguises. I mean, that's really kind of what they try to do. But again, whatever the game plan is, you got to go out there and you got to execute it. And they just haven't, haven't been as sharp and they're missing some key pieces. And sometimes that plays into it too. But, um, they're definitely not a, a predominantly zone team. I still think they're they're a press man team with a lot of an array of blitz, but they got to do it. Also, don't forget this: they they haven't played the run as well. When you can stop the run, and I mean stone them the way they did for most of the last two years, now you can bring those blitzes because you know they're throwing the football. You, you've got them in a defensive position already, so um, it all begins with stopping the run, and, and you know that's what they're going to have to do Monday night, regardless of what they play behind it. All right, Ren wrote us and says, When the Bucks feed Ronald Jones, he produces. Fournette has not shined as a third down or two-minute back. The Bucks don't have to throw the ball to Rojo. There are plenty of options on the field. Is it time? Has Ronald Jones finally earned it? Well, I don't think he ever lost it. I mean, he, he earned it, apparently, in training camp, and Bruce has said that. I'm, I'm one of the few that didn't necessarily believe him, but um, the proof is in the pudding. I mean... You know, he is their leaning running back. Hell, he's one of the leading Brendan backs in the league right now. The guy's going to rush for 1,000 yards in all probability, and that hasn't happened since Doug Martin. So around these places, that's special, and he's proven to be special. Do I like him uh, as a receiver? No, I think he's I think he's a terrible receiver. I think he's got, you know, he's got a couple fumbles um, trying to catch the ball. Um, he's, not, he's not natural with it, and – you know, you can't, when you say just feed Ronald Jones until you, the thing about it is if you're on the field and you're not a three down back, what do you tell the defense? What's, what's the tell there? The tell is don't worry about 27 unless they hand him the ball and they're probably going to hand him the ball or he wouldn't be in the game. And that's difficult. You know, you'd like to have the ability to do both and they've tried to do both with him. He's just, again, he's not a great receiver, but he's earned the job. I mean, it doesn't matter what I say or what anybody says. Bruce Arians has told us, 
that you know he's their guy. In fact, he told Ronald that after he fumbled the other day. He went up to him and said, hey, you're our guy. Don't go in a jar like you did against New York. Like, you know, keep pounding that thing up in there. And look what happened. 192 yards later, 98-yard touchdown run. So, yeah, you don't, you're never handed anything in this league. you got to earn everything you get. And whether that's because he was pushed by those guys or not, doesn't matter. Ronald Jones is the starting running back of the Bucs, and that's not going to change. All right, Brian asks, is there any chance that it would be better for the Bucs to finish fifth in the playoff race, which would mean the Bucs would get the winner of the NFC East? I recognize that mean, could mean playing all games on the road. However, the alternative is potentially hosting the Seahawks, Rams, or the Cardinals in the opening round if the standings hold and the Bucks are able to pass the Saints by a game. Or the other scenario, if you slip to 6th or 7th, would mean traveling to the Saints or Green Bay or NFC West opponent, which could be worse. Plenty of football left, but wanted to hear your thoughts. Um. It's sort of interesting to to think about matchups and and how they affect you know your postseason hopes and and whatnot. And I would just say that winning the division, even though there's not a lot of fans, there's only been fifteen sixteen thousand in in the Raymond James. But winning the division gives you a home game, and I think in the postseason that matters, right? And yeah, you may draw a more competitive team. And a lot of times, you know, we remember when the Bucks won the Super Bowl, they had to go the hard road, um, you know, not early on. They played San Francisco, which was a good matchup for them. Um, then they had to go to Philadelphia, and once they upset them, of course, they, you know, got the Raiders in the Super Bowl. And those were the, you know, the Raiders was a perfect matchup. The 49ers was a perfect matchup. And that year, the Giants were upset by San Francisco. The Giants were a heavy team. Would have been a really difficult team for the Bucks to play. I'm not sure they beat the Giants, even though San Francisco ended up beating them. Um, so matchups are important, but nothing to me is as important as the ability to to be at home in the postseason. And particularly when you're talking about you know January football, um, if there's a potential that you would have to go to Green Bay, which may not be the case, um, but just just travel in general. You know, and remember this: if you're a wild card, you're not home ever, most likely. I mean, you're you're probably going to have to win two to three game three games, um, you know, to get to the Super Bowl. That's that's a path not taken very often. Um, you know, I think the Green Bay Packers did it one year, won a Super Bowl. I'll say this: Tom Brady, um, and I could be speaking a little out of turn here, but I'm fairly sure about this: that the years that he has won the Super Bowl, not gone to it, but actually won the Super Bowl. I believe his path ran through Foxborough for the AFC championship game. Um, so while I, I do think that if they continue to play better and hit their stride, if they don't win the division, they still would give some teams, you know, hell and it might, it might work out. Okay. Especially in the early rounds, if you go to Philadelphia, uh, but you would still have to win, you know, all your games most likely on the road. And that's, that's just hard to do. And, you know, I, I would much prefer if if I were the Bucks to win the division. Hope that I'm the first or second. You know, hope that I'm a, the top seed. Maybe I get a maybe I get a bye week. We'll just see. But yeah, I this, this whole hey, you know, it, it lasts for one game, right? And it, I mean, eventually you're going to have to beat all, the best teams anyway. You're going to have to play the other best team in the NFC. You know, you want to play them early or late. You know, well, if you win the division, you're not going to play them right away, but. You, you do want to be at home home if you can. I mean, you, you're not getting on a plane. You're sleeping in your own beds for the most part during the week. 
Um, we know, you know what the weather is going to be, especially here in Tampa. It, there's too many variables about going on the road. So, and, well, and there's no guarantee. Well, don't know, forget in, in 2010, the Seahawks were seven and nine. Yeah. Beaten 11 and five Saints team. Yeah, exactly. The, the, and everybody's complaining that the Seahawks yep. got to host the game because they're only seven and nine. The Panthers in 2015 were seven, eight and one. They upset the mm-hmm. 11 and five Cardinals. There you go. I mean, you know, hosting that, those playoff games mean something. They now, do. How much is home field advantage this year? Maybe not as Don't much. Know. But I'm telling you, I like for example, the Bucks have played already six games on the road, okay? Mm-hmm. And the places they lost, you know, would have been should have been much harder to play in if had there been fans. Um, but they didn't play well because there were no like I think it's a real thing when you go to these places and there's no fans, you know? Um, it was weird in Chicago. It was weird in New Orleans. And I don't know what the situation will be in the postseason when we get there. The way things are going doesn't look like it's going to be very good, um, to say the least, with, with COVID raging the way it is. So, it you know, at least, you know, for the time being, you know you've got a little atmosphere at Raymond James. Most of the people will be cheering for you. And, you know, Tom Brady's talked about this, like, there's sight lines that you get used to from being in your home stadium. There's wind that you're used to. And, you know, the weather in, in January is guaranteed to be pretty much a hell of a lot better here than in most of those NFL cities. Um, so, yeah, it sounds good, and maybe it is good for one game, but you can't control what happens after that. So give me, um, you know, the division title and a chance to be at home any day of the week if I'm if I'm the Bucks. I mean that's that's what I would want if I were them. All right, Joe asked, Rick, do you think Levante David will make the Hall of Fame with the stats but without all the accolades? It's really hard to do, and it's a great question. And we you know, kind of looked up some things. Um when you talk about Levante David, you you're talking about probably and this is hard to quantify because I'm I I really did like some linebackers like Hardy Nickerson, um, you know, Shel- Shelton Corals, obviously. There's been some good ones. But I would say Levante is probably the second best linebacker they've ever had on this team. Now, if you want to go back to Batman Wood, and you know, I'm, I mean modern era, okay, let's let's say in pewter. Um, I'm not going to debate some of the old timers because, frankly, I watched them as a kid. I don't remember, you know, how they stack up. But in terms of numbers, I mean, the larger question is, is that, he he's probably not going to be in the Hall of Fame because his teams didn't win. I mean, he's literally never been to a playoff game. This would be the first. The next playoff game is the first one for Levante David nine years into his career. And so when you don't, when you're not relevant, when you're on a team that's that doesn't win, uh, it doesn't matter how good you play. You don't get the, you don't get the attention. Number one, you're not on playing on TV games. You're not doing all these things. And you know the the, the sort of the attitude is well, somebody's got to make tackles. You know, like. You know, doesn't doesn't make you a great player. Now he's made one Pro Bowl. I think he should have made six, but you know they they judge him when they were in a four three as an outside linebacker that put him against guys like Jason Pierre-Paul, like guys that were just pure pass rushers and not really linebackers for years and years and years, and he got snubbed. He was a first team All Pro, but it wasn't even the same year that he was a Pro Bowl player. He got snubbed at the Pro Bowl when he made All Pro, which All Pro is is one player per position for the entire team, not just for the conference. So it's even a bigger honor. Um, but looking at his numbers, it's um, it's incredible how similar they are to Derrick Brooks, f- except for the longevity. I mean, you know, again, 
Levante didn't play what Derek played, which was like Derek played like 14 seasons, I think. And Levante's in year nine. But he's already, look at his numbers, okay? He's got 1,081 tackles, all right? 12 interceptions and 22 forced fumbles. That's incredible. That's that's a hell of a, of a career. Derek Brooks, um, who played a much longer, had 1,700 tackles. So he's 600 tackles, about 620 tackles, 19 tackles away right now, okay? Um, Derek Brooks had 13 and a half sacks. Levante David has 24. He's a better pass rusher, okay? Uh, Derek Brooks, in again, playing five more years than Levante has, had 15 career interceptions. Levante David has 12 already. Uh, Derek Brooks forced 24 fumbles in his entire Hall of Fame career. Levante David has already forced 22. I mean, and yet Derek Brooks made the Pro Bowl 11 times, 11 and was a five-time All-Pro. He's, you know, he's a first ballot, not just a Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer. But here's what else happened. He was Defensive Player of the Year. And he was on an All-Decade team. And he won a Super Bowl. So, you know, would Levante David ever be Defensive Player of the Year? At this age, probably not. Has he been worthy of it in terms of his play if he was on a winning team? Had he been on the Baltimore Ravens when they were cooking or the Kansas City Chiefs maybe? Um, or whoever, you know, went, makes a lot of Pro Bowl or Super Bowls. The New England Patriots. You've been with the Patriots all those years. Then you'd be talking about the Hall of Fame. But you got to have some team success to get noticed. But by the time he retires, if he plays five more years, he could catch. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that he could possibly catch a Derek Brooks in terms of career tackles. That's amazing to me. All right, Nate asks, would you agree that Tristan Wirfs appears to be the best offensive lineman the Bucks have had since Paul Gruber? Um, this is a great question. Probably the best they've drafted. I mean, Ali Marpet is really, really good, and at this point might be a better player um, than Tristan Wirfs is right now because he's had the experience, right? But listen, um, what Tristan Wirfs is doing is rare, Okay. To come out of college, a junior uh, from Iowa, and again, understand that no one's ever attempted this without any preseason meetings, uh, virtual everything, no no game time ta- tape or anything. He's gone out there, and he has more than sh- than held his own. He's he's held up. Um, had a little trouble, you know, in, in, in the Chicago game, obviously, with Mac, but everybody does, and the game got out of hand. Um, but he's been everything they hope for and more. I mean, Gruber never made a Pro Bowl. I think Tristan Wirfs is going to make many Pro Bowls. And again, Paul suffered from the same thing that Levante did. He's never he didn't play for good football teams. Um but they've had they've had better offensive linemen, better resumes come through here, you know, Logan Mankins, for example, Randall McDaniel. Um you know, even a the guy they drafted like Davin Joseph was a damn good player. But I think Wirfs has some greatness in him. And it would not be out of the realm that he moves to left tackle next year if they decide not to bring back Donovan Smith, whose contract is not guaranteed, and it's a lot of money. Um, maybe they leave him at right tackle when they draft a guy, but I, I just think that Werfs is, is special. You know, he's, he plays way above his years. He's strong. He's, he's athletic as hell, former wrestler, um, and just a great kid. And the game has not been too big for him, and that's really saying something when you're facing – 
the caliber athlete that they do every week. So they they should be really happy with Werfs. And yeah, he's I think Gruber's a good comparison to be honest with you. I think he he may be the best one that they that they've had and drafted since Paul Gruber. All right, Michael asks, will Jameis Winston be a different quarterback in New Orleans or will he be the same one we saw here in Tampa Bay? You answer that, me and you'll go to Vegas. Because <laughs> if you know, and that's the beauty of Jameis, right? It's like it's the old, like a box of chocolates, right? You never know what you're going to get. And I could I could easily see Jameis just crushing it, just, you know, going out there against Atlanta twice, uh, Denver, you know, without uh, their quarterback lock is out and and just, you know, bombing away, just, just you know, because understand this, he's with he's with the best football team. I think this is fair to say he's with the best football team in the NFC South, maybe the best football team in the entire conference. For all we know, their defense is playing very very well. Um, they've got tremendous receivers, you know, with Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. Alvin Kamara is a wipeout weapon, right? Um, what he does in the passing game alone, not to mention the running game. Then you know you, you've just got. You know, so many great, great players, uh, even Taysom Hill comes and adds something to you. And a big offensive line that really protects Drew Brees. But can they protect Jameis because he's going to hold the ball a tick later? You know, he's going to try to extend plays. If Jameis just goes out there and executes and and keeps it simple with what Sean Payton, Payton wants him to do, he'll be fine. If you start to see him run around and become Jameis again and extend plays and try to do too much... It's a problem. And somewhere in there is the mama bear. I tend to think he's going to be good. I, I think he, he could potentially be very good. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater with this football team, okay, last year, stepped in for five games. Teddy Bridgewater I like as a quarterback. I don't love him. I like him. He went 5-0. and He went 5-0 and and threw four, four touchdowns against the Bucks. Okay? Jameis is a better quarterback skill-wise than Teddy Bridgewater. And, quite frankly, he's played probably more football, or at least every bit as much. No, more football, because he's been a starter. He was a starter in this league for five years. He threw for over 5,000 yards. So I know he's dynamic. I know he can make a ton of plays, and I know he's with Sean Payton and a better football team. So to be honest with you, I don't know that he'll be a different quarterback, but I think he'll be asked to play a little differently. Um and I don't think he's going to turn it over as much. Now, if he if if he reverts back to old habits and slinging it all over the place, and guys start, first of all, he won't be in there long. They'll just let Taysom Hill take it. Um, but he, we know he has that in him, right? Like it's he's got that gene, man. He's got that turnover thing in him. It's just whether or not he can compress it just long enough um, to get through these next, I don't know, four or five games. Who knows? Who knows if. If Breeze comes back at all, that was a devastating injury, and they really need Winston to sort of hold the fort. All right, Buck North asks, recently rewatching the league's denial and concussions in football, when a player is flagged for a helmet-to-helmet hit, why aren't both players immediately checked for possible concussions? This is a little out of my expertise. I'm not sure that they are or they're not. Um, it could be that they are, but when you say immediately, eh, I don't, I don't know what that means. I mean, you've got spotters upstairs, and look, all everybody's wearing a helmet, so it's a collision sport. And if everybody's wearing a helmet in a collision sport, guess what? You're gonna have some helmets. You're gonna have some helmets bump. Um, that bumping 
itself, maybe, you know, some people think that that leads to CTE and that's not a good thing, but there's, there's a difference between bumping and thumping, right? When you, you know, if you launch and, and into a guy and he's clearly woozy, I think, I think that's a different deal, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. They probably should check these guys out after helmet to helmet hits. Um, but they do, you know, check in on them on the sidelines if they're going to be honest or not. That's another story. Um, you'd like to see it. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. Those, you know, helmet to helmet is, is a tough deal because everybody's wearing one. I always said this. If you, don't, if you don't want them to bang helmets, then take them off and watch, watch the head injuries go down because not everyone's going to lead with their noggin unprotected. Mike asks, why is it called illegal hands to the face? It's obviously a penalty, so we already know it's illegal. And is there legal hands to the face? All right, Jerry Seinfeld. Is this is this signed Jerry Seinfeld? Why do they call it illegal hands to the face? You can't put your hands to the face legally. What am I doing? Um, I don't know. I'll ask. I, 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 I thought I of mean, one instance where it's legal. Okay. You can give a stiff arm to the face mask. As, as long, long as your hand grab doesn't it. grab it. Yeah, you can give a stiff arm yeah. to it. So There you go. I think that's the exception to the rule then. You can you can hit the face mask. You just can't you just can't maybe illegally grab it. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I don't know yeah. if that's why it's called I know they don't want them. They'd also don't want them to get like up under, you know, what you see with offensive linemen is they'll get up underneath the yeah. chin and they'll they'll push the neck back and that that's never a good thing. Um they want them to keep their hands, you know, on at least shoulder pad level. If they can, but sometimes they do slip. So but he's right. It could just be called hands to the face. It could be hands to the face. Right. I think the legal part is that you're right. We're taking for granted if we see a flag that the guy in the striped shirt's about to tell us that that there was a rule broken, but they want to make it illegal hands to the face versus legal hands to the face. So we need to start having illegal pass interference versus because legal there's you know pass interference on every play, but you know or every passing yeah. play. Nah, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, it's. Yeah, right. There's we don't even know what what a catch is, much less interference. So, yeah. good question. I can't. I, I answered it one hundred percent correctly. All right, Michael asked, "When will the NHL season start, and will there be fans in attendance?" Don't know. I think so. You would know more than I mean. Is it going to be after Christmas? Is that what they're going to do? Uh, I mean, the, the league has said they're aiming for a January first start. That's what they've said consistently now for about a month. Uh, Initially, they, you know, when, they, when the restart happened and they were finalizing everything, they were hoping for December 1st. They then pushed that back to January 1st. The league has consistently said they're still working for January 1st. Now, there's a lot of things that have to be worked out between the league and the players. You know, will it be in home stadiums? Will it be in hubs? Uh, I don't think you're going to see a bubble. I don't think the players want to do that again. I'm not sure the owners do either. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you have the whole issue of the Canadian border as well. It's still closed. So you've got seven right. teams in Canada that you know can't go back and forth, and U.S. So teams can't go up there. So the south, right? Either that, or they form their own division and they're playing each other. Mm. Uh, and I think ev- I think everything's still on the table for the NHL. The NBA is is close to putting out their schedule, I believe, and, and hopefully starting December twenty second. Um, they only have one Canadian team, and it looks like the Raptors are looking to play possibly here in Tampa or somewhere else. Right. Uh, depending on how things shake out with the NHL, because they can't go back and forth to the border. But the NBA has one Canadian team, not seven. So it's a whole, it's mm-hmm. a different, you know, it's kind of like the Blue Jays, what they did. They played in Buffalo this summer for baseball because they couldn't keep going across back and forth the border. 
So I, I don't know when the NHL is going to start. Um, you know, I think they're still working that out. I, I, I'm guessing if the NBA schedule comes out pretty quick, um, you're going to see the NHL try to follow suit if they can get something done. But the Canadian issue does present a problem. Um, they also have the issue of their broadcast on NBC next year. If there is an Olympics, that starts, I think, July 23rd or something like that. You've got to have your postseason pretty much done by then, or you don't have a network to broadcast on. So they've got a, you know, they've got a, a, a limited window in there too to get things done. Presumably, assuming that the Olympics are, are actually held and broadcast. So, all right, Rick. Well, we got some interesting uh, comments on our Christmas discussion from you and Chris Torello last night. Yeah, and we'll start with Les, who okay. who's a very frequent tweeter for us. Yes, he says, listening to today's podcast, I'm so disappointed. White Christmas lights? Really? Of course you are. No splash of color? No pewter in red? <laughs> all right. First of all, there's no pewter. There's no pewter in Christmas, man. I don't know where you're going to get those pewter lights at. Let's be honest. Um, Can you frost the tree pewter color? That's what I want. Yeah, that'd be weird, too. Let's see. What what did they call that again? What did Chris call that? There was a was term it a frosting for it. it? Uh, no, it wasn't frosting. Oh. That would have been too easy. It was oh. something much weirder than that. Um Look, you're entitled whatever you want, but the song is I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, not I'm Dreaming of a Red, White, Blue, Green, Sick, Yellow Christmas. Like, And I'm fine. If, if you want to go multicolor, that's cool. You know, to each his own. I've got, I, you know, I've got neighbors that go all out. But if you go with the white, um, it, it's clean. It, it, uh, it establishes nice lines and also... You can mix. You can you can you can mix it with. Say you have a, a big inflatable Santa, you know. He he goes out there. You get a little color. I mean, you can add color here and there. But I'm talking lights now. I'm just talking house lights. I put them on. I gotta admit, my I have white lights on my tree too. I'm kind of kind of into that. Um, no, actually, I don't. No, let me change that up. Let me think. What do I have? We don't have white. We used to have white lights. So we mix it up a little bit. We've mm-hmm. got the color on the inside with the tree which, again, kind of offsets what you see outside. Okay. So, you know, I mean, it's, so, a, it's a multicolor family. But so we, have the, we have an artificial tree. It's yes, the LED lights, which you can switch from white to color. Right. And, you know, if blinking or not Those or fast cool. or slow, you know, and my son's constantly changing it all the time. Yeah. Uh, so we don't really have a consistent color in our house because... I've always wondered about change. those. Those are the ones that already come with the lights, right? Yes. Now, what happens, because we all know... These Christmas lights are made to like not work, mm-hmm. but maybe the trees prove that they can make them so they always work. But what happens if you lose, you lose your lights? You got a tree and you got lights, but they don't work. What do you do? Well, they're LEDs, much like all LED lights. I mean, you know, if you Just buy like an overhead them? LED light, you got to replace the whole thing. But, right. I, but I think one light can go out. It doesn't mean the whole string goes out too. Gotcha, gotcha. But I just thought, you know, I don't want to throw away the tree because the lights right. don't work. So yeah. I put lights on the tree. Yes, but it's, it, look again. I, I'm to each his own. I, I just my mom's know. my mom's one who can't stand the blinking lights. Oh, those are t- you know like especially the fast blinking ones outside. My mom can't stand those. She's like you know, you know she always said that, growing up you know we could whatever we wanted if we wanted didn't matter color whatever it's not blinking they're going to be on at all times. That was my mom's thing. You know there are people that suffer from epilepsy that can be very dangerous. Well, it wasn't for that reason my mom didn't like it. But, I'm just saying. But yes. And if you've had a lot to drink. 
<laughs> well, so that that know, could have been it too, but yeah, okay, maybe just ooh, add a little. Uh, she like the she like the hooch a little bit. Is that right? No, no, lots of wine here, there. You know, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's all right. So Ren asked, in your Winter Wonderland Christmas miniature hockey set, Rick, who <laughs> whom are the two teams playing? Okay, um, there's not really teams. I mean. It's it's sort of generic in a sense. It's supposed to be um, just an ice pond. This is this is uh, what did I say? It was fifty uh, six. It was uh, mm-hmm. something fifty six. Yeah. Uh, it, it's supposed to be like an outdoor ish, like a pond have, hockey game. A pond hockey game. It's it's more or less a pond hockey game. It has an actual goaltending net and it has a goaltender. And the goaltender's kind of he's 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 leaving some space. I must admit. On I think on the glove side. There's a little bit of room, but he moves back and forth across the goal, which is not actually good technique. But the whole time, the the guy with the with the with the hockey stick is gliding across, you know, from one end to the other. But he but he he has the puck on his stick, but he never shoots. And so it's like it would drive Phil Esposito crazy. It would be like <laughs> he could never have this ornament in his house ever. Like I I can't just imagine him running by there. Shoot the puck, but. You know, it's uh, it's just interesting to watch. Okay, uh, he's going to the left. Oh, the goaltender follows him over there. Now, now there's a little bit. No, there's a little bit of space. No, the goaltender shut that down. So, and he, and he spins around like he's gonna shoot, but the pecs are t- attached to the stick. That's the that's the trick here. All right, Department well, Fifty Six. That's what. It's that, that's what it is. Yeah. So Carl asked. He had a two part question. The second part we're gonna save for a different podcast because it's actually a good question, but it's gonna take more time than we've got. Gotcha. But his, his first part was, what spirits do you put in your eggnog? Bourbon? Whiskey? <laughs> do you drink eggnog? I No, I don't. I, I was going to say, <laughs> it's, if I drank eggnog, uh, what I would put in it is Pepto-Bismol. I, I can't. It's like, <laughs> I, I can't really. Eggnog is not a thing for me. I just pat it. It's very rich. I guess if I put something in it, it would be bourbon simply because I like bourbon, but there's no rhyme or reason for that. So, yeah, I'm I'm kind of like I'm not a, I'm not an eggnog guy. It very filling too. I mean, back in my mm-hmm. childhood, I've tried everything. My parents loved. They, they, I mean, they would always have eggnog for uh, for like Christmas Eve. It'd be they bring out the eggnog. They wouldn't put anything in it because they didn't really drink that much. But you know, it was uh, it was always around. So, yeah. Do people do eggnog anymore? Is that, is that I don't. still a thing? Yeah. That's one of those things you have it. once, and that was a good enough. Yeah. Kind of yeah, like the mint I, julep for the Kentucky Derby. Have it once. That's all yeah, you need. It's, it's yeah, not good. You, yeah, mint juleps are not good, but you know you always have it on a derby day party or something like that. With the funny hats. Yeah. All right. We'll wrap up with Buck North, who had a multi-part question here. Oh, boy. What was the best gift you received for Christmas as a kid? He asked both of us this. And then it was, if you could give one gift to a Tampa fan base, what would it be, and who would you give it to? And then third, if the year 2020 was a Buccaneer season from the past, what season would it be? Why do we save the best questions for last? Like <laughs> We've got to end on, a, on, a, on the best. That's three really good questions that I'd have to spend a long time to think about. Best Christmas gift ever. Um, as a kid, because it wouldn't have be wouldn't have been anything well, as an adult. I'll go first since I had some time to yeah, think of this absolutely. question. Absolutely. So absolutely. I had two. It was our first computer we ever got, which was Ooh, that's big. I was ten, eleven, somewhere in that range with Apple II GS. I remember the computer nice. well. Nice. Um, Love that and played. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a baseball game I used to play on it. 
Very simple yeah. game. It was essentially kind of like a Stratomatic type thing almost. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, learning computers as they were starting to, you know, become popular in homes at that point. And then right. the other one that I think it was a Christmas gift, although it might have been it might have been Easter or something, but uh, it was a basketball hoop. And oh, I was around fifth or sixth grade. Oh, and it perfect. was the adjustable rim, spring loaded. Oh, wow. You know, Big so time. so we we then we you had to put it we put it in the ground, cement it next to the driveway and we played on that every day. Ward out. From that yeah. through the time I left for college. It was it, it was neighborhood kid, kid neighborhood kids all over all the time. Yeah. 2 on 2, you, 3 on 3. Sometimes absolutely. we played with a small ball at seven and a half feet, other times we played 10 feet. Oh, do dunk contest, awesome. do all. I mean, we wore that rim. That was by far the best gift I've ever received because it got the most money's worth out of it. Because we used that for seven, eight years nonstop. You know, one one uh, Christmas Eve. Um, this is not the answer to any of those questions, but one Christmas Eve, um, a neighbor and, and, and myself both decided we were going to get basketball hoops, adjustable basketball hoops mm-hmm. for our sons who were about the same age. They were probably five, right? Like really, you know, mm-hmm. but okay, well, you know, it's more for you, but off. that's right, you know. More for me, but adjustable to where, you know, you start at seven feet or whatever it was. And then, mm-hmm. so we were going to, so, and we both got these things, but, you know, we were putting them together at, at uh, my friend's house, Steve Saccone, and we put it at his house. Have you ever tried to assemble one of these things? Like, you would think, well, how hard can it be? Oh. It's a hoop. It's a backboard. <laughs> it's a pole. Holy moly. Let me just say this. Santa just got out of there in time. Um <laughs> I literally saw Santa Claus leave as I was getting into my bed. True story. The basketball hoop Santa had left outside, but I crawled into my bed, pulled the covers over my body, and heard, It's Christmas! Literally, that's how... I was like, holy moly. I literally didn't even get to close my eyes, and I was like, yeah! And he looked outside... He really didn't use it very much either. That was a disappointing thing. He wasn't wasn't really a big basketball player. Um, but those things are hard to put together. So people, if you buy one, have it assembled, pay the money. Trust me, you'll be happy. Um, best present, best Christmas present, that was the question? Yeah. Um, for me, this was an interesting story. I mean, not that interesting, but like I was, I was both elated and devastated. First, I was devastated. I wanted... For all the world, I wanted a ten-speed bike. Like that was the thing, you know. I growing up, I had one of these mm-hmm. banana seat, you know, crowbar handles, whatever, you know, just like any young kid. But I wanted that ten-speed man, wanted it, and I asked for it. It was good all year, and I woke up Christmas morning. And I have two older sisters, and it's probably about maybe fourteen. I rolled out there, and there in this, there right by the tree is a ten-speed brand new bike. Right, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, and my breath got taken away. And my sister ran up there and said, "Oh, you got me a bike, Santa got me. We got a bike, a ten speed bike. I love it. I love it." And I thought, how in the hell? I was the one that asked for the bike. Like what? What? I was just like, I was crushed. Like I was just in that moment. You could have knocked me over with a feather. I was devastated. It was going to be the worst. Christmas ever until my mom says, uh, read the card, please. That's not yours. That's Rick's. And I went, oh. <laughs> like, yes, yes, scoreboard. Now, the weird thing was is that that bike, although beautiful, um, 
it wasn't assembled quite right. Like the, the pedal would kept mm-hmm. knocking on the frame. So I had to take it back. You know, there's nothing worse than having something you waited for all year. You get it and it's not right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, well, dad, you know, well, th- oh, everything's closed. But tomorrow when you're like, today it's Christmas, man. Everybody's outside with their new stuff. That was a good one. You know, they used to have back in the day. They, I don't know if you knew this. They had, they had gifts you could never sell today because none of them would be approved. Um, for example, there was this thing. You can look this up. There was this thing called the Johnny Magumba rifle. Now, I don't know who Johnny Magumba was. I think it was some TV show. Um, but he was obviously one of these dudes that hunted elephants and stuff in Africa because... First of all, it had like a mount. You could put it on the wall, and and the two things that would hold the rifle were, you know, sort of like replica elephant truck tusks, which is, you know, completely like inappropriate now, right? So you could mount this thing, and then, so I'm telling you, this thing was a rifle, right, with a scope, an actual scope on top of it, but it shot bullets that were hard plastic, that had shell ca- like plastic shell casings, and then the other plastic would eject from these things at a high rate of speed, I might add, and with quite distance and accuracy because you had a scope. Then it came with a a a, um, a pistol, a handgun that had a magazine that also ejected these plastic. I'm telling you, this thing was unbelievable. I, I used to shoot this thing for my treat. Now you had to make sure you could find the bullets after they, you know, left the rifle because that's all there was. Um, but that's the guy. Like they used to make things like that. It's like you could no more. You'd poke your. You're gonna shoot somebody's eye out with that thing. It's like a BB gun, but it really wasn't. All right. So what's the one gift you would give to the Tampa fan base, and who would it be to? Wow. Um... I mean, it's going to sound like, you know, cop out in a sense. I really, I think I really would give a Super Bowl um, to the Bucks. And and look, you could say, you know, the, the Lightning have earned their own Stanley Cup. And I think, I really do think the it would be great to give the Rays a World Series because God knows they've been there, you know, twice now. And um, that whole game six and everything was, was hard to watch. Um, but I just think that this franchise has suffered you know, the, the fan base, I, uh-huh. I do feel for the fan base. I mean, 12 years is a generation, you know, my, my daughter who's 11 reminded me that I've never seen the bucks in the postseason. And I remember years ago, Rich McKay, um, when I was talking to him, he goes, you know, the playoffs are all for the fans. That's all about your fans. Like when your fan base knows their team is in the playoffs and they're playing and they're the only game on TV at that time, and it's win in advance, right? You, your Super Bowl hopes are alive. You're only a few games away. That that atmosphere, especially pre-COVID, obviously. I mean, I'll never forget. I mean, when you know those Buccaneer playoff games, and again, it's been forever. But they hand the flags out. It was sixty-five thousand. They were all Bucks fans, and the place was just electric. And you know, a whole generation of of Tampa Bay fans haven't experienced that. Like my son went to a World Series game. It was unbelievable. There was nothing like it, you know. They didn't win the World Series, but he was in the game. He was at the game, and the trap was going crazy. Um, but to go 12 years 
mm-hmm. the second longest except for the Browns, and not even re- everybody makes the playoffs. I mean, there's on par. There's just, there's usually four or five teams every year that didn't make it the previous year. That's what the whole system of the NFL is set up to be with 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 you know profit uh, you know uh, revenue sharing and and drafts and and free agency. It's so that you know you can you can repair your franchise right away and be competitive again. And it just hasn't happened. And so what better time, right, than Tom Brady? I mean, on, on top of everything else, what a story that would be. You know, I mean, 20 years in New England mm-hmm. could come to Tampa Bay and pull that off. So I'm not a homer. I'm not rooting for them. Everybody goes, well, how can you know root for I, I don't. I, I'm sorry. When you, when you do what I do, you throw away your fan card. But for the fans, the question is which fan base? I really do think the Bucks fans have suffered the most because um, the Rays have been good for a while. I know yep. they haven't won a World Series, but I would say I would say Bucks fans. My gift to the Tampa fan base would be well, there's two. The obvious one is a COVID vaccine, so that we can go watch all these great teams play. You know, I just thought of another one. You're going to say it. Go ahead. And the other one would be a brand new Ray Stadium in downtown Tampa. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Yep, I, w- I knew it immediately. So the, and, 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 and one what? that keeps You're them give- here here year round, not split season. And I will defer my gift for the Bucks fans for that one. I would sell it in a heartbeat. the The, the stadium for the Rays to keep the Rays mm-hmm. here is worth more than any singular World Championship, no doubt. Yeah. But I mean, That's I I wish one. I could have taken my boys to a Stanley Cup final game. Yeah, you got robbed. Couldn't do that it's for you terrible. know, and, and for all the fans, and not forget me. I mean, it's you know everybody. That, oh, it's just tragic, you yeah. know. And, and the Rays in the World Series. How fun would that have been to go to games this year? It's the most Tampa thing ever. And twenty twenty. You know, and who knows how many fans are going to be in the stands for the Super Bowl? Whether the Bucks are there or not, there may not be many fans there. Period. There won't be. I can tell you that yeah. with some assurance. Mm-hmm. There won't be. And and for that matter, there's no tickets, so it doesn't matter. Like even if you. You're from here, or your team, you know, like, well, I want to go, I'll pay. Mm. If you think about it, normally each team, I think, gets about, I don't know, they get hundreds of tickets. And then, you know, you have your sponsors. And I mean, if they're playing with 15, even 20,000, you know, geez, I mean, those, mm-hmm. those things will be, if there is a secondary market, it'll be astronomical, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a shame. And another, I'd love to see USF get its on-campus on stadium, too. I mean, that's further yeah. down the road and not as you know, I'm not high as, priority because, I mean, you know, they do get to play in a nice stadium in Raymond James Stadium. But Right. I was I was going to say, like, I, I don't – do you think that's a difference maker for their program? I don't know if it's a difference maker, but I do enjoy going to UCF on campus to a game. I've been over there a couple times. I do Even enjoy Rector Cincinnati set, falling apart stadium in UCF. I mean, it's but, not a good stadium. But it, it, it has just, no amenities. The atmosphere around it and just being on campus. Cincinnati at Nippert Stadium's right in the middle of their campus too, and that's you know that's where I went to college, and so going to games and you know there's just something about that with college. Um, you know, it's, is it a game changer for them? I don't think. I mean, the indoor practice facility that would be a huge help for them. That they um, need right now. You know yeah. that that they definitely need. The, the, on, the on-campus stadium is a nice wish list thing. You know, it's one of the things, hey, I'll ask for Christmas because it's, you know, something yeah. I'm not going to get myself, but, hey, someone will get it for me. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, it would be fun to, to go to games on campus. You know what, I, what I've been told about that years ago, and I, I don't know if it still applies or not. I'm sure they would like a stadium. But um, the thing about it is, you know who pays for those usually? The alumni. Mm-hmm. And you know where they sit? They said at Raymond James and Sky Suites, yep. they're fine. They mm-hmm. love the clubs. 
They, you've got all the amenities over there, yep. and you couldn't begin, could not begin to build anything um, with the money they would have to spend and raise that would approximate any bells and whistles or luxury suites at all, mm-hmm. right? Like, there probably wouldn't be any. So, you know, this that that's one of the reasons it's been so hard because it's not cost-effective. Whatever they pay, um, you know, to mm-hmm. use it is is minuscule compared to what, constructing even even an erector set type mm-hmm. stadium that UCF has. So it's not it's just not cost effective. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're talking about eliminating sports, especially now with COVID, it's well, yeah. just this is just put it further and further behind. So I don't think it'll happen. I, I don't I I Yeah, I think sure it's a long way happen. away if it does. But but like right, I said, right. just in, in being at some you know, around going to some colleges when, oh, when there's the stadiums like on it. campus it's it's one it's a there's it's nothing an awesome like atmosphere. It. Yeah, absolutely. It's terrific, and um, you know, although US, USF, the difference is they're 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 very much a a, a commuter school, mm-hmm. you know. Like well, Cincinnati not... was too, where I where I went to school. I mean, you know, right. Eighty percent of the students didn't live on campus; they were you know lived at home they within in, you know yeah. thirty forty minutes from downtown. Right, right. Uh, but the stadium was right there in the middle of campus, and it was you know it was just a great atmosphere, even when the yeah. team wasn't as. You know, when I was there, the team was winning, but they weren't great. They, were, you know, now they the last, you know, decade or so for them plus have been really good for the most part, yeah. except for Tommy Tuberville, um, <laughs> who's now a senator. Yeah, right? As you say, he, he's got other things he's got to worry about. Yeah, well, you know, hopefully he can play as much golf as he did when he was the coach at Cincinnati. But ooh, yeah, he spent a lot of time doing that. Did he? Not so much recruiting. Uh, he's perfect for Washington. <laughs> yeah, not so much recruiting, more golf. He was more worried about the golf, but yeah, uh, that probably plays in Washington. Okay, so. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I like yours better than mine, and I I should have jumped on it right away. But that way we got we got a couple things in there. But yeah, yes, believe me, the Rays need to stay in Tampa Bay. What a what a tragedy that would be if um if they were to lose that baseball team as good as they are, and even sharing them just doesn't seem to really make the mark. Although I suppose having them half the year would be better than none of the year. But um, that's a good one. Hey, by the way, thanks for all those questions. They were really good, and I like the fact that we got into a little Christmas because we need a little Christmas right this very minute. Hey, um, folks, check this out. The Tampa Bay Times has launched their cyber holiday sale that's going to run through Friday. You get unlimited, I should be able to say that, I speak for a living, unlimited digital access, three months for $3. I mean, come on, it's a buck a month. You can't beat it. And it's available on our subscriber page. Go to subscribe.tampabay.com. Dot com. That's subscribe.tampabay.com. No offer code is required. Just subscribe.tampabay.com and get your access unlimited three months for three bucks. All right, tomorrow on the big show, my partner in crime from the Tampa Bay Times, was a longtime sports columnist, also a radio partner, and now with the Pointer Institute of Media Studies, Tom Jones. That's right. You love him. You want him back. He is. He'll be on the podcast manana so hope you guys look forward to that thanks for everything and the questions for steve versnick i'm rick stroud of the tampa bay times have a great day everybody